Welcome back to another episode of Endurance Icons, where we sit down with individuals crushing it in the wide world of endurance sports. We got an awesome guest today on the podcast. We have pro triathlete Alice Alberts coming off a recent victory at Ironman Lake Placid, her first professional win, which uh, Jess and I were watching live coverage that day and super exciting day to watch uh, somebody who came up through the age group ranks very quickly, um, but right to pro and uh, had an amazing day out there. Welcome, Alice. Pumped to have you. Yeah, I'm pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. Amazing. I feel like um, we should just maybe take it back and go kind of chronologically through this and uh, maybe we can finish with the Placid recap and uh, sure. do. we'll get all the pent up demand going and then uh, get everybody excited <laughs> at the end with the recap there. So maybe you could run us through kind of, um, you you were new to triathlon in 2021, but what was maybe your sporting past in it? your sporting past and kind of your path to triathlon that uh, led you there? Yeah, yeah. So new to triathlon in 2021 and actually no swimming background or biking or really running. That's what I got into first in my um, journey to endurance sports. But yeah, I was just a super active kid. I have two older brothers. I was kind of always chasing them around, um, thought I should be as fast as them, you know, so that was good motivation to keep up. Um I played lacrosse in college uh, and then went to grad school right away and was super stressed in grad school and took up running just kind of as my me time and my release from all my studies and my stress. And during that time, decided to do a marathon just because I was running so much. Um, that was late 2016. And I just kind of fell in love with marathon running. So I did about seven marathons from late 2016 to about 2020 and was super into running and kind of thought that's what I was going to do. And then COVID hit and my husband and I started biking a ton and we were just having a blast with it. And he was like, you know, I've always wanted to do an Ironman. So we signed up for one. We signed up for Coeur d'Alene in June. It was going to take place June 2021. We signed up late 2020. So we had a bunch of months to train. And then, yeah, the rest is kind of history with triathlon. I fell in love with the training of it. it. Interesting coming as a runner, I guess, at that point, and then adding in the cross training with swimming and the biking. And I just loved the variation each day. Um, yeah, so did my first triathlon and haven't really looked back. I still adore it. So that's the fun part. <laughs> I love it. Um, so when you first got into triathlon, did you have any like big newbie mistakes you made that you, uh, you look back on when you first came in or any big like shocks when you first hopped into it? Yeah. I mean, thankfully I had a coach kind of guiding me and the reason I got a coach is because my husband kind of predicted I would do some things incorrectly. Um, so I guess like big shocks in my training, you know, was that every day doesn't have to be super hard. Your like easy days are just important as your hard days in terms of recovery. And like looking back now on my marathon running, I was not fueling well. And just to learn how to fuel properly is huge. I'm like, oh my gosh, imagine what I could have done if I'd fueled correctly in some of those marathons. So just learning the importance of fuel during training and racing um, was huge. Thankfully I had a coach, so I didn't have any like massive newbie mistakes there, but just learning that early, I was like, wow, I've been doing this wrong up until now. So I would say those were the huge ones and just the importance of recovery in general, um, is huge, uh, in any endurance sport, whether you're running or doing triathlon. Yeah. 
Cool. And so you hopped in right in 2021, but you also won an Ironman. Did you not in 2021 Ironman Texas? I, I did. I mean, there was no pro race that year. So uh, that allowed me to get the win. But yeah, I got to break the tape in my second Ironman in October of 2021, which was truly so special. And, you know, breaking the tape was an experience I thought might be sort of a once in a lifetime, which made Lake Placid all that much more special and kind of proved to myself that hard work really can pay off there. And just to be able to kind of look back and compare it to the feeling I had uh, when I did it in Texas was really cool. Yeah, I don't think you need to downplay that win in Texas because we, our friend Allison, who we actually trained with, won Texas this year as an age grouper in almost the identical time you did that year. Really? So, like, I don't think it would have mattered what year it was. You, that was a, a fair and square victory. You were like nine twenty five or something that day. Yeah, nine twenty three, I think. Yeah, yeah, Amazing. yeah. That race was crazy too because I mean, not having a pro field was interesting in that like. Um, we were the front bikers, right, as age groupers, um, and up there with some really, really fast men. And I actually came off the bike seventh overall in the race, including wow. men that day. Um, and that was just like an insane experience as like a second Ironman and like being told that information from the spectators and stuff. I ended being 10th overall for the day, including the men. Um, so I got passed by a few men, but just a really supportive group of people out there, uh, during that day, even without pros being out there. So that was really nifty. And you got to race Kona as an age grouper as well then? So I didn't, um, I qualified oh, during, um, Coeur uh, and then Texas, but, uh, it was postponed. So uh -huh. I raced, um, St. George as an age grouper was my, world champs and it was the 2021 world champs but took place in May 2022 so that was actually one of the big reasons I held off besides wanting more experience in the sport going pro after my first two races is that I really wanted to race a world champ so it's definitely too bad it wasn't Kona but I still kind of got that atmosphere of it being a world champs I mean I don't know anything different I've never been to Kona <laughs> but um I still enjoyed <laughs> having a world champs uh moment I guess so I don't want to jump too quickly over, you know, you had such an incredible start to the sport. You jumped yeah. in and your second Ironman, you won it, but I'd love to know, like, what were those conversations uh, when you started thinking like, I'm not just good at this. I'm great at this. Like, when did you start thinking I should move up to the professional field? Yeah, that's such a good question. So my first Ironman was Coeur d'Alene. And I actually won the overall age group race there as well. And my time would have put me as the eighth professional female. Go so Alice. I, yeah. So I remember kind of finishing it and it was, they called it Corda flame. Cause it was the year that was so hot. Yeah. And I was like, you know what, maybe I only placed here because it was hot and I tolerated it better than other people. Like I was kind of making excuses for why I did well, you know, cause I couldn't really believe it. And then I would say after Texas, I kind of was convinced like, okay, maybe I do have the ability to do well in this sport. It was still kind of shocking to me. Um, but yeah, I would say probably after those first two races, which is crazy to say, um, to be fair, I was still doubting myself and my ability to be competitive in the sport, even into my going into my first pro race and even my second pro race. And it was people around me who were sort of encouraging me and telling me that this is something I could do and that I was good and that I could hang. I mean, my imposter syndrome is still there um, because I know my like rise in the sport has been pretty quick. I almost 
question if I do belong doing it, but I think with each race I do, I get a little more confidence and like a little more belief that, uh, yeah, I can hang with <laughs> some very impressive women. So I'm just happy to be there. I'm just smiling that you still have imposter syndrome because you just won a pro race. Um, but it, it's one of those things where uh, you seem like a high achiever. So the moment that you do it, it seems achievable. So yeah. it's like, well, you find you had found excuses in that quarter lane race of like, here's why yeah. I did it. Here's why it wasn't all that extraordinary. Well, <laughs> holy smokes, like what an extraordinary win. And we're going to get into Ironman Placid, but I'd love to know in that first year, so you're dealing with a little bit imposter syndrome. You had no background with swimming, biking, or running, yet here you are in the pro field. What did you do to change? Um, did you make any changes in your training? I mean, so my first year as in like my first year in the sport or my first year as a pro? As a pro. Yeah. I mean, definitely made big changes because I quit my day job. So that definitely led to a lot of change. So I quit, I was a nurse practitioner and mm -hmm. I had my last day, like three to four days before I raced my very first pro race, which was Lake Placid, funny enough, and we can get into that race. Um, so there was a lot of change and interestingly, it was volume, but it wasn't necessarily quality, if that makes sense. So I was still doing sort of the same amount of quality runs per week and quality bikes per week or intensity, I guess I should say. But what went up was a lot of like my um, base endurance work um, that's not as taxing on the body. And honestly, the biggest, biggest change to my training was my ability to like rest and recover between sessions. Um, it is so impressive what age groupers do with day jobs and pros who have day jobs to be able to do all of their sessions and then go to work and have that high stress and then still recover to wake up the next morning to do it again. The biggest change for me was that I wasn't getting the stress from work to then get into my stress from sessions. I think that some things we overlook is how much stress and not just like stress from working out, but stress from day to day can impact your training. Um, so for me, my biggest difference was definitely being able to take that out and recover between sessions and rest between sessions and go into sessions focused on that uh, one tap or not one because there's normally multiple workouts of the day but the workout of the day instead of being like oh my gosh I have to get back in 20 minutes and shower and get into work and then have this really busy day I could be like this is what I'm doing today focused on this so just sort of having that focus um, in the training was the biggest difference not even like oh I added an extra hard run workout each week <laughs> so what did that conversation look like um, I know we talked about the conversations around just deciding to go pro, yeah. but going pro and leaving your job is a whole new level of commitment. Yeah. Talk us through what that looked like and sort of your mindset and some of the things that you did around that. Yeah. So that was definitely not an easy decision. Um, one, because I'd gone to a lot of schooling and done a residency and all that to be a nurse practitioner. So I'd put a lot of time and effort into my career and I enjoyed my career and I felt fulfilled by it. A lot of long conversations with my husband and what that would look like for us as a family and like moving forward in our lives. Um, and I think we just decided in the long run, you don't get really a lot of opportunities to say, I got to be a professional athlete. And we kind of thought, 
But looking back when we're 60, when we're 70, would we regret not having me kind of take this chance and follow this dream? So obviously it's a financial impact too. We discussed that and we kind of just said like, let's go all in and see what I can do and, and invest really in my career as a triathlete um, and just hope that I can win some races and like maybe get sponsorships along the way. Um, I'm fortunate enough that he, or we decided that he could support us for the time being, but that doesn't mean that it still wasn't like a total risk and that we were hoping I would do well. I mean, it doesn't go by our, we're not unaware that this wasn't sort of like a gamble. Um, but again, like I said, to start, I think we would regret if we hadn't gone in and done it. Um, but not easy, definitely not easy. <laughs> No, and that's why I wanted to lean in on that is because yeah. it, it it's such a level of bravery to go pro and it's a level of bravery to do it the way that you did. Yeah. Um, although I love, I mean, you are, you're making a very clear statement in a very short time. Um, and I, I love that you also, you're not doing it alone. Um, you have yeah. your husband, mm -hmm. uh, you also have your coach, uh, Natasha yeah. from NVDM. Um, talk yeah. to me a little bit about how did you select her and what is it like working with her? Yeah. So it's funny about this. I mentioned my husband all the time, but he's actually the one who found her. Um, like I said, at the beginning, I am a bit of a type A person and the fear was kind of that I would overtrain for our first Ironman. So he kind of went on a search for a coach for me thinking it would like rein me in. Right. He found her on Instagram. She'd just done really well in Ironman Florida and suggested her as someone, to be honest, I didn't really look at many people. I kind of saw her, I looked up like who she was and I loved that she herself was a pro triathlete. I love that she was a woman. I love that she had a daughter um, and clearly had like a family that she valued. Um, to me, that was really important because one of the things that I stress the most in my own training to this day is like balance and family and friends and all that. So yeah. Um, hooked up with Natasha in late 2020 and then really I've just been with her all along. I think that she has been, um, I don't know the word, but invaluable, I guess, in my success in this sport. Um, like I said, to start, I would have trained incorrectly. I would have fueled incorrectly. So her knowledge has just been incredible. And I think what's um, been awesome about training with Natasha is that during this time, she's really built up her company and BDM coaching. When I started with her, I think I was one of her first 50 athletes. And now it's just completely blossomed. Um, not to plug, but I coach for MVDM too. So she brought me on board coaching and um, the community. Plug away. Yeah. Plug away. <laughs> the community that she's created is incredible. Like the number of messages I got from some of the athletes on the team who I've never even met in person after my win was just so amazing. It's just such a supportive group of people. And I think truly all triathletes are like that is what I'm learning. Um, like maybe not just MVDM coaching, all triathletes are incredibly supportive, but it is wonderful to be part of that community um, and just have that kind of around you and more and more people believing in you, obviously is really motivating. That's incredible. And you mentioned balance and that that's something that's yeah. so important to you. So what does balance look like to you? Yeah. I mean, it varies by week <laughs> depending on what I, what I need. Like I was telling you before we started last week, I was on a family vacation. So thankfully I was recovering from like placid still. So it really meant putting training to the side and focusing on family. That doesn't mean I still didn't train a little every day, but, um, I would say 
it means still spending time with my husband every evening. It means like still seeing my family as much as I can when they're in town, um, being friends, just knowing that although training is really important to me, it's not the end all be all. And I think that's actually really helpful when I have gone into races, my sort of mentality is like, okay, I'm obviously super competitive. I want to do well, but no matter what happens in this race, I'm still going to have these people around me who love me and support me. Um, and the thing I'm always looking forward to at the finish line is just seeing my husband. And I know he's going to be proud of me, whether I do well or do badly. So for me, I find that really motivating. Everyone talks about like your why when you're racing and mine has always, always been like the people around me, right. Who believe in me when I don't believe in myself. So, yeah. I love that uh, finish line video from Placid of him just <laughs> at the finish line, hands in the air, and then you guys have the hug. You not yeah. a dry eye in the room when you see yeah, that. Right. It was awesome. That, yeah. What's funny is um, I actually have like pretty similar videos to that for a few other races, which is just so special. Um, but for him to be able to come into the finish line mm-hmm. area uh, was like when I saw him, I was like, yes, they let him in. <laughs> it just and appeared I, like he's just your biggest fan, Alice. It was biggest. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's like purely genuine. Like I have so many funny videos from family members watching the finish line, finish line of Placid. Um, and there's one of my brother and he turns to my sister-in-law and he's like, Mike's going to be crying more than Alice. And then you see Mike and he's like, see, I told you. So just kind of funny that like other people know it too. <laughs> That's amazing. So it, as you were leading up to Placid, I'd love to hear what were some of your favorite training sessions to prep you for an Ironman? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So my like typical answer to this is I'm obsessed with multi-brick workouts, which I only just started doing recently, um, where you sort of like run or sorry, bike and then run off and then get back back on the bike and run off and back on the bike and run off. But leading into Placid, actually, I did a two-week training camp, you can call it, up in New Hampshire in the White Mountains, just to kind of get used to the hills, um, both biking and swimming and then, or biking and running. And then I was on a lake doing a ton of open water swims. So going into Placid, my favorite training session was actually kind of like a mock race day where I did, um, a 1.2 mile swim. So half of an Ironman, um, open water at race pace. And then got like lit, literally right off my bike or right out of the swim, right on my bike and did a two hour bike ride with some Ironman race efforts in there. I think it was like four by 20 minutes and then got back and did like a progressive run up to Ironman pace for about nine miles. So that day was fun because it was really um, kind of like a sneak of what possibly it would be like and just got me excited to race. And like the caveat here is that I was supposed to do Montremblant. So like I would have had that, but because I didn't have that, I did this day, um, which was super fun. Let's do me. Go ahead. Yeah. We were there in Tremblant as well. I was going to say, Oh no! (laughs) all of us standing there just twiddling our thumbs and have to go home. That was wild. Like to have that many bodies, you know, at their bikes and then walk the, what, long walk to the Mm -hmm. swim start and then the volunteers were so sweet but like didn't really know what was going on so they're like uh you have to go back and we're all like okay it was just like crazy (laughs) so much unknown 
in such a stressful environment. Everyone thinks they're about to race. So yeah, that was wild. Sorry, you were there too. And did I hear you haven't done actually a 70.3 yet? <laughs> so I did a local one, um, okay. not Ironman, like maybe two days after I turned pro. I mean, it's not Ironman, so it was like an elite field um, in 2022, but I've never done an Ironman one and I've not done one like really as a pro, you could say. Um, so I really wanted to. <laughs> you tried. <laughs> I did really try. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine there's too much lure there when you're having all the success you are at Ironman though. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's actually an interesting statement. I adore Ironman, but you can't race as much, right? It's true. Um, and that's hard when you're up and coming in the sport. Like I've only been able to do four races. So as a pro. So that was kind of the interest in me doing 70.3s. Like, oh, I can throw them in there leading up to Ironmans to not only get more experience, but race more. Mm -hmm. So what did your training volume look like leading into Placid? Yeah. So that's actually a good question. So in the, in the past, I've noticed I'm actually not very good at like high, high volume. I know some pros are getting up to even like 30 hours a week, which just sounds crazy to me. I'm really comfortable at like a anywhere from 20 to 24 hours, typically. Um, that two-week training camp, though, I mentioned that I did in New Hampshire, I was up more towards like 27, 28 hours, which was a lot for me. Um, most of that was because of like uh, longer bikes, some of them being like endurance, but in the hills, obviously gets that quality. Um, I will say I was actually super fatigued during that camp and sort of feeling down on my fitness, which is interesting that then I went and had a good race. It just proves that sometimes, sometimes your best training blocks don't lead to your best races and your worst training blocks aren't going to lead to your worst races. So I'm curious if my higher volume that I did during that did actually lead to a better race, something to obviously keep thinking about it's just so important to like monitor the fatigue and not get it too high but yeah I wasn't feeling all that confident when I did have the high training load but yeah anyway long way to say normally 22 to 24 hours and what what would the breakdown be in terms of like percentage of the week that's like swim bike and run oh my gosh that is such a good question <laughs> ask Natasha <laughs> let's pull kidding. up training peaks here we go Deep <laughs> um I would say uh Jeez. I mean, number, I can give you number of times I do each one yeah. that actually might be helpful. I tend to swim five to six times a mm -hmm. week. Each one of those is an hour, maybe a little over. So call it six hours of swimming, yeah. um, five to six hours of swimming. I tend to run probably only four days a week, sometimes five, but a lot of those are just like, or some of those are just like 30 to 45 minutes off the bike, just to kind of get that feeling of the brick. Um, but like quality run, I have one quality run with pace per week. And those tend to be anywhere from like eight to 14 miles. And then one like long run of the week, sometimes with quality, some not. Um, so obviously a number of hours when it comes to running depends on whether it's like a big uh, weekend, because I tend to alternate like, you know, 20 and then like 14 the next weekend and then 22 and then 14 and vice versa. But yeah, four to five runs a week. And then biking, I'm probably in the four to five as well. But again, I'm sometimes just doing 30 minute spins, but some weeks I do a six hour bike ride outside. So 
I think that it's just a hard question to answer because it can kind of vary. Um, particularly like, is this the week where I do a big, huge bike session or is it the week where I'm doing a big, huge run session? Um, cause those can tend to alternate. And how many of your swims are open water? That's actually really interesting. So normally, um, none, particularly in the winter, cause I live in Boston, Massachusetts, but, um, I was not feeling confident in the open water and I was not feeling that my times in the pool were translating well to open water at all. Um, so my two week camp that I keep mentioning was actually all open water. And so over those 14 days, I think I did about 11 swims, all open water, which was huge for me, just getting comfortable, um, sighting, but also dealing with like a little chop if the water's choppy, um, and just being in the water. It's such a different experience for me. I think my issue was that I was struggling to take kind of the form, uh, cues that I do in my head when I'm in a pool into open water. It was so easy to just kind of let that go and flail and having all that time in open water forced me to kind of take those cues and, and put that in. So um, not a lot, but for Placid, I did. So I encourage people to open water swim because it really can be huge for your, not only time, but confidence in the water, which is so important in, in an Ironman race when you're in the water for so long. And what are the form cues that you use right now? Yeah, so mine are long and strong. It's what I say over and over. I have a very high stroke rate. So in the past, I've kind of cut my um, stroke short and not really gotten a lot of oomph out of it. So to try to really elongate my body, slow my stroke rate down, which is funny, a lot of people are the opposite, but slow my stroke rate down to really make each one very efficient. Um, so those have been kind of my main one and engage my core. That's one I'll have my whole life engage my core so that, you know, your hips and your legs aren't sinking. I think I saw you guys uh, had done early in the year, like a swim camp down yeah. in uh, Texas. What were some of the things you took away from that of just like an immersive sort of, it looked like maybe like a week long or something like that? Yeah. 10 days um, in the woodlands with Tim Floyd, who's nice. awesome. Um, so many takeaways from that. I mean, slowing down my stroke rate, that totally comes from Tim. Um, I guess I can have a bit of a bounce in the water. And so that comes with engaging your core to kind of stay stationary and not bounce through the water. Um, thinking of like your core, and I don't just mean your abs, like your whole core, um, as an X sort of to kind of hold it all together. Um, those were my biggest ones and just having a little more confidence in the water again there like I was really nervous going into that camp surrounded by a bunch of pros that's my imposter syndrome talking um and then it just turns out everyone is so kind and nice and don't really care about your ability or like your past results they just want everyone around them to succeed so that camp was awesome for a lot of reasons <laughs> something you'd want to add in in future years again, or that you have? Yeah, planned? I definitely think so. Yeah. I'll, I'll go back again if I can. Also as triathletes, um, we're biking and running a ton and that builds fatigue. And then sometimes you're not having hugely high quality swim sessions. So just to do 10 days where all of the focus was on swim and you're not building the fatigue, doing other things was, I think, hugely beneficial to be able to improve in the swim because when you have fatigue your form's not going to be as good so to be able to just fully concentrate on the form was really important 
So you've mentioned imposter syndrome a couple of times, and you mentioned that you drew, you draw your strength from people around you, Yeah. but as a, as a very, very talented triathlete and you're, you're on the rise in the sport, what are you doing specifically to combat that imposter syndrome? Um, I guess I'm racing to, <laughs> to try to get <laughs> results to make it go away, but I also talk to a lot of people like Natasha always knows just what to say to sort of make me have that confidence in myself. Um, obviously my husband we've talked about is my biggest hype man. Um, now I'm just mentioning other people. I don't know. I always journal after my races. So I'll go back and I'll read, I'll read about my race. And honestly, that gives me a little confidence in myself um, before the next race to be like, oh, wow, I made a good decision there. Or like, oh, look at that. I actually did pretty well there. Um, I'm not one to go back and really look at workouts and stuff to get confidence. I don't really want to go look at numbers because then I'm comparing and maybe getting down on myself. So just having trust, I guess, in the, the work I'm doing. Um, I just think it's going to hopefully continue to dwindle with time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Winning an Ironman will help, uh, yeah. help take a little chip off it. It doesn't go. I'm not unaware of the fact that yes, I won Lake Placid and now I'm going to have a little more pressure on me going into the next race mm -hmm. that like, doesn't go over my head there. So I'm going to have to be very aware of that going into my next race, like staying level and just not letting the pressure gets me. And I, I think the fact I started thinking about that, like right after the race. So just keeping that mindset, I think is a good thing. Like, okay, there's going to be a little more pressure. I'm aware of that, but like, it's going to be what it's going to be. If I have a good race or a bad race, like life will go on and I'll race again. So I loved what you said about Texas where you're like, I just kind of thought that it was a one-off like yeah. winning <laughs> and crossing the finish line. I'll never do it again. And now you've won it again as a pro. My sense is this is just the beginning for you. And I love your ability to be able to handle that pressure and you yeah. stay humble, but find confidence from the people around you. It's just, yeah. it's such a good lesson for people. Thanks. <laughs> um, I want to talk about nutrition. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about your philosophy for day to day. Let's separate the, the, around the, the workouts. What does it look like? How are you fueling the work day to day? Yeah. So I'm actually really boring. Um, I guess my philosophy is routine because I have the same thing almost every day for like first breakfast, second breakfast, lunch, snack. I mix it up with dinner, but I am like really regimented. And the reason I do that is because I know it makes me feel good when I'm eating. And I also know my stomach is going to handle it. Okay. Um, so I'm not like a count my, um, protein count my carbs outside of training. Obviously I count my carbs and I'm very aware of that intra training, but around it, I'm just kind of doing what feels good. Um, and I'm constantly modifying it. I actually, when I started triathlon was vegan and then it just felt way too restrictive. And I kind of had to question myself, why am I doing this? I'm doing it because I felt like I was being really healthy, but now my body's kind of craving something else. So I brought back in eggs and fish and I've just kind of continued to modify. I've just added back in meat. Maybe like I had meat for the first time in three years a week before Lake Placid. So we'll see little by little, 
I think that the most important thing is to not be too strict about it and just kind of eat what makes you feel good. Obviously I'm still learning, but, and eat when you need to. I'm like constantly hungry and I just eat. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not worried about any of that. The second he said first and second breakfast, I was like, all right, she's got a, <laughs> she's got a good head on her shoulders on this. We, we feel that sometimes third breakfast, but if you need it, you need it. What did it feel like to eat meat after that amount of time? Um, we were just talking with uh, Jim Vance, um, who's a coach yeah. and he was talking, we were asking about nutrition and he made the comment like food is emotion and there's so many emotional connections attached to that. Having yeah. not eaten meat and coming from vegan, what was that moment when you ate meat and what went through your mind? Yeah, honestly, I was pretty scared, which sounds really silly to say, but um, I almost felt proud of myself because I'd had kind of that restriction for so long to then have, um, I guess the open-mindedness that sounds kind of weird because I'm the one making this decision, but to do it, I was proud of. Um, and then <laughs> the first bite, I was like, Oh, I don't actually know how I feel about this, but then abort, it, abort. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but then it, it grew on me. Um, I will say I'm being a little strict about my meat just for the time being like I'm doing like, you know, grass fed local, like these are the most probably spoiled cows ever, but um, <laughs> they were happy. Uh, yeah. And then <laughs> bringing it on to mindset, it was like the, that whole night I was like, do I have a stomach ache? Am I not feeling well? Is something going on here? And then for me to be like, I'm okay. I'm all right. I'm okay. It's going to be okay after I ate it. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we're going to have burgers tonight. And I'm like nervous about it, which sounds so silly, but um, I'm craving it. So I'm going to go with it. Amazing. I love that. <laughs> so one thing that I've learned, I, I Mark has been really good this way of, I find that if you're going to be an endurance athlete, you almost need to throw traditional food out the window. Like the yeah. way a normal person eats, you yeah. can't eat like that with you. Look at the fact that you're training like over 20 hours a week, like the amount of calories that you need to sustain that um, is extraordinary. So I just love that you, you don't necessarily get hung up on the numbers, but you're focusing on eating enough and what your body needs. So, and clearly it's serving you well. Yeah. Hope so. I mean, um, I've definitely had probably too much peanut butter in the last two years. But Is that a thing? I don't There's know. No such <laughs> thing as too much. Favorite food by far. I have a shirt that says motivation for running question mark peanut butter. Oh, I need that. I need that. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, and then in training, what does that look like? Um, and I'm also curious, I'll tack on a question. What's your carbs per hour when you're racing? Yeah. Yeah. So in training, I'm typically trying to mimic what I'm doing in racing because uh, really you're training your gut as much as you're training like your legs to be able to sustain an effort. Um, that said, like I'm not going to do my full Ironman nutrition for like an hour bike, but I am always having carbs no matter what for any ride greater than or any workout greater than 45-ish minutes. Um and then I guess I can just tell you sort of like what I do for an Ironman because I tend to, that's how I tend to fuel. Um, I aim for 95 to hundred carbs per hour on the bike. Um, and then the run, I aim for probably like 55, 60, but am I getting that? I have no idea. I'm just grabbing from aid stations. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, if I can nail it on the bike, I can be a little more lenient 
on the run. You just don't want to fall behind because then it's so easy or it's so hard to catch back up once you fall behind. And I'm doing that through um, mostly liquid. Uh, I have bottles that have about 65 grams of carbs in them. And I try to finish it in 45 minutes. And then I do one gel an hour as well to kind of get up to that number. And there's been a lot of playing around with that. Um, I used to do a bottle every hour and then I realized I needed more carbs and actually a little more hydration. So I went down to every 45 minutes and I've tried a bunch of different gels to see what gel kind of sticks better with me. Um, so yeah, I've, I've played with it, but again, that's why training your gut is, is so important and practicing it during training. You don't want to get out and have only done like one long ride with what you plan to do in your Ironman. And have you done much in the way of testing on like the sodium hydration sort of needs that you need? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, leveling sweat mm -hmm. test, I've done one of those. Um, it told me I needed only 600 in the bike per hour and 900 in the run. And I just swapped those because <laughs> it's <laughs> so much sense. easier to get it yeah. <laughs> on the bike. So yeah, I just swap it. Um, yeah. And then the, and then the run, I don't really similar to how with carbs, like I'm carrying Gatorade. Um, and that's like really how I'm getting, and then I'm taking gels, but that's sort of how I'm getting sodium knock on all the wood in the world that I've never cramped. Amazing. So I think I'm just lucky in my sodium requirements there. Yeah. And you've mentioned you were pretty good in like the hot races that you've done. So yeah, I, yeah, I feel like all the athletes I've worked with who have kind of that low sweat rate definitely yeah. usually adapt pretty well to those hot races. Yeah. Adapt well in that I don't cramp. I definitely will get hot and I'll get my heart rate up. But if I am on top of pouring water over my head, I'm fine. But if I don't have that ability, I'll kind of lose it. I will mention in Coeur d'Alene, they were passing out because they were so concerned about the heat. They were passing out like uh, cool washcloths. Mm -hmm. So I actually just ran with it like around my neck and stuffed in my sports bra the full 26 miles. And I would like dip it in the ice bucket and then return it. Um, Amazing. So just keeping the core temp down. But yeah, my sweat is okay with the sodium. It's just keeping my core temp down. That's my little bit of an issue in the heat. And what nutrition do you use on the bike to get that, that uh, grams per hour? Yeah. So I do um, one packet of the Morton, am I pronounce it? 160, and then a scoop and a tiny bit of the BPN G1M. Um, they're one of my sponsors too. So um, the BPN, uh, what flavor do I do? Fruit punch, um, G1M. And that's good too, because I'm getting a, a real mixture of the carb source. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting like glucose, fructose, and dextrose, like within that one bottle. I know there's all that research about like, you can only have 60 grams. I think they've upped it to 90, maybe. I don't know, but 60 to 90 grams of one fuel source when it comes to sugar. So just to be able to mix that up, I think is good too, within the bottle. And when you look at, so we talked about recovery in terms of nutrition, what does your day-to-day -day recovery look like? Um, and sort of the key pillars that you lean on to make sure that you're performing your best. Yeah. I mean, the big one is sleep, obviously. Um, How many hours so, do you get? Yeah. So I am for at least eight. Um, I'm made fun of because my husband and I go to bed at like 8.30, if not. Us too, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> We're team 8.30. There you go. It's so nice when you have like someone else, your partner who does that as well. Like I have friends who want to go to bed early, but say they're like, partner doesn't want to. And then it's, you know, it doesn't happen. So yeah, we're both in bed around 8.30 or nine. Um, so yeah, I aim for eight, eight and a half. I have days where I don't hit that. 
I'm not really a napper. I thought I would be after I left my NP job, but it's not really something I do. I'll do it if I'm really struggling. Um, but then besides that, yeah, so sleep and then just relaxing between sessions has been hard for me. I'm kind of like a constant go, go, go person, but like understanding it's okay to sit on the couch at noon and put your feet up and eat lunch before your next session. So figuring that out was tough, but I'm finally there. Um, so just decreasing the amount of stress in your life between sessions is so important for recovery. Again, I said this already, but I think sometimes we downplay how much stress can impact our training. Um, and then I love my compression boots. <laughs> Do you travel with them too? So I've been fortunate in that Montremblant and Lake Placid, we drove to them. So yes, I brought them. I have yet to fly with them, <laughs> but I'm tempted. <laughs> they have pretty nice size cases for them now. And if they're yeah. that essential, you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe. <Love it. laughs> All right, let's hop into the uh, the fun stuff here. So um, I obviously want to talk about Placid, but I feel like there's some there was some races on the way that you definitely like had some tougher moments in and and learned a lot that probably helped you in Placid. So maybe run us through. I think like Placid the year before that was one of your first pro races, and I think you also did Arizona on the way. If I yeah, I saw that correctly. Again. Oh yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. So three races. What to run us through? Maybe some key learnings from those races that uh that helped you on your uh, Placid race this year. Yeah. So my first pro race coincidentally was Lake Placid. Um, and as I said earlier, I had just quit my job like three to four days before it. Um, so I was quite stressed and not necessarily in a great headspace mentally. I was kind of just off of making that huge decision and just had a lot of pressure. Um, not really externally, but in my mind it was external in the end, it was totally internal pressure. Um, and I didn't have a good race. I totally blew up. Um, and you know, that was one of my first, I mean, it was only my fourth Ironman ever, but like the first one where I really, really, really was miserable, which was so interesting because I just quit my job and decided to like dedicate my life to this. And then I had a race where I was like, this is awful. Why did I do this? <laughs> um, which is crazy to think about. Um, looking back on it now, I was not happy. Um, and the real learning there was that I actually just butchered my nutrition. I, um, got behind Heather Jackson on the bike and was like, so <laughs> hyped. Um, <laughs> thought it was like the coolest thing ever stopped like taking Gatorade and I didn't do my bike special needs, even though I've always done bike special needs. And I just, I just blew up. Um, when a, I didn't stay within myself, I didn't run my own race, which was like a huge, huge lesson. I learned that like, even when you're racing in the pro field, you have to stay within yourself and what you're capable of. Um, so yeah, that was that race. And then I went on and I did Arizona next and I got fifth, which for me, even now is a, <laughs> a result I'm really proud of. And um, that was good for me coming off of Placid and having a result that, um, you know, I thought reflected my training at the time. It was a little bit more of reassurance that I was sort of, doing the right thing and maybe made the right decision and that the world goes on even after a really bad race. Um, but again, I knew I was capable of more. I didn't have a great run and yeah, you always kind of end races thinking you can do better. Um, and then I did Texas, which um, 
obviously I'd raced it before and had a really good experience. I really love the woodlands. Um, and I got sixth. It was the North American championship. So it was pretty stacked field. Mm -hmm. Um, there was actually five Kona slots. So I only missed it by one. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Missed it by one, but, um, again, and that was great. Um, Kat Matthews won that race and she's someone I really look up to. So yeah, it was, it was fun to, uh, do a race that was like so competitive and, um, go back to where I'd won sort of. Um, and again, I had a decent race. Um, uh, I knew there was more I could do, but more learnings along the way. Um, I did, let's see if I can do math. I beat my time from when I'd done it in 2021 by like 15 to 20 minutes. So I knew I'd made good improvement. Um, actually no more than that. Yeah. About 20 minutes. Um, yeah. And then went and did Lake Placid. <laughs> And then I guess you that Texas race would have been like non-wetsuit and stuff too. So yeah, yeah it some been, more gains in there versus you probably, or was it non-wetsuit when you did it, it as an age grouper? I think it was non-wetsuit when I did it as an amateur. I thought they haven't had non-wetsuit there for a little while. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> I think it was non-wetsuit. I honestly, I feel like I haven't raced in a wetsuit in the longest time. <laughs> Um, so let's hop into Placid. Uh, so let's, let's talk about maybe general feelings or expectations going into the race when you're like, I'm sure you're looking at a start list before, like what, yes. what was going through your mind of, uh, of kind of expectations for the day? Yeah. You know, I honestly had pretty good expectations. I'd done my training camp. And like I said, I actually wasn't feeling too great in my training, but then I just had to keep reminding myself that I'd had a really consistent year and that I'd grown a ton in the last year since when I raced it prior and blew up. Um, obviously I was a little in my head about the fact that I knew the course was really hard and that I'd had a bad race there before. When I first signed up for it, I was like, yes, this is going to be redemption. And then kind of as it got closer, I was like, oh my gosh, why did I choose to do this race again? <laughs> I know it's so hard. Um, but I actually did feel really good. Um, not to keep saying the same things I'm saying, but like Natasha and my husband kept saying, you know, I could do really well based on my training and my mindset and how much I had kind of grown in the last year. Um, I think it also helps to know the course. So I knew the course and I kind of had a game plan for it. So even though the year prior went horrifically, at least I'd learned a lot um, and maybe how to race the course better. Um, so yeah, I was nervous, but I was oddly calm. And I think that brings it back to the year prior. I'd had a bad race and the, like life went on and I went on to Arizona and Texas and had decent results. So kind of just knew I needed to stay within myself. And when we woke up that morning, my husband said, someone's going to have a good day out there. It might as well be you. And I was Love like, it. that's amazing. Okay. <laughs> and your day did get started pretty well with uh, swimming at the front of the race with uh, Rach. Yeah. Uh, run us through the swim and uh, how that went for you. Yeah. So, um, try rating puts out, you know, predicted yep. times. And I obviously went and looked at everyone <laughs> and predicted times and what I thought I could do. And I saw that Rach had one of the best predicted swim times, if not the best predicted swim time on there. Um, Katie Morales also had one. And I happened to actually line up, not happened to, I meant to, I lined up like <laughs> two to three down from them. Um, lucky for me, Rach had a different color swim cap. So it was very identifiable. 
Um, and then, yeah, just kind of uh, knew I needed a good start. We started mid mid thigh, which is a little awkward. So you kind of dive in, but you're in the water. So I needed to do that well, and then went out pretty hard the first 200 to 300 meters, knowing I wanted to find feet and yeah, knew how to angle to manage to get behind Rach. So got right where I wanted to in my game plan. And then, yeah, I was able to kind of cruise. Nice. And came in right around an hour there. Yes. <laughs> and I say that like that because my goal for the longest time has been to break an hour and it's almost getting comical to this point. Um, <laughs> it'll come. I know it'll come. Um, and I mean, I'll take it because with the swim, you never really want to go in my mind off time. You always want to like compare it to the other ones around you, other people around you and how they're doing because it can be so dependent on the day. Um, so yeah, I was thrilled with the second out of the water and I, I mean, caps off to Rach for leading. I really did draft like the whole swim. Um, but yeah, just over an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you will go well under an hour yeah. many times. So, <laughs> um, so when you hop on the bike there, that must've been a pretty exhilarating moment. You had tons of time with the, uh, the camera moto with you there. So when did you kind of take over the lead? Were you riding with anyone? How are you feeling? Yeah. So, um, being new to triathlon, my transitions actually aren't the best. So came out of the water second, but started the bike third. Cause, um, a Iueta, who is a well-known short course athlete with quite a resume had the best transition I've ever seen in my life and like took off. <laughs> yeah. She's like an IT legend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it showed I'm like trying to put my shoes on and she's just like through the tent, but, um, yeah, so I was in third uh, and kind of just started knowing I needed to do my own race. I didn't want to make the same mistakes that I did the year prior and go out too hard. So I really kept my effort where I knew I could hold it. Um, and I caught Rach at one point before the Keen descent. I don't know if you guys know. Yeah, that was our first Ironman. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Um yeah, caught her along that bit. Um, but then they actually went flying by me on the keen descent. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess I'm not very confident with my downhills. Um, but then managed to go by again a little later and then um, took the lead from Ayueda, maybe mile like 35. And the moto was kind of off and on me that time and then really just stuck with me the rest of the day, which was such a new experience. I was laughing with buddies today because I was telling them about how at one point I ripped my gel open and it went all over my hand. And of course, like that's valuable stuff. So I spent the next like five minutes licking my hand to try to get all the gel. <laughs> Meanwhile, the moto is like on me and I'm like, gosh, I really hope they're not streaming me right now because this is very embarrassing. I kind of wish they were. <laughs> just like licking my hand, like need these carbs. <laughs> it's, it's a true look at what happens in triathlon. Yeah. It's, uh, people need to see the viewers need to see what really goes into it. Yeah. But it was crazy having the moto there. I mean, it really made me think about my effort, my breathing, um, staying controlled. If anything, it was kind of beneficial once I got over like the initial shock of one being in the lead and two having it, it there, but yeah, I think that shows your like mental strength in that because you could very easily just be like, oh my goodness, I'm leading the yeah. race and like the adrenaline hits and yeah. you're 20 watts over power and then blow yeah. up on the second time back into town before you know it. 
Yeah. I mean, my goal for the bike, besides getting my nutrition right, was to finish that first lap feeling really good. And like, I could go and do the second lap again. Last year, I remember finishing the first lap and being like, oh my gosh, I have to go do that again. And this year I finished it being like, I feel really good. I'm ready to do it. Like kind of wanted to feel fresh. Um, and that's how I felt. So that was my game plan going in. I'm glad it worked out. Did you end up riding pretty even like power and times between the two loops? Unfortunately, no, I still faded a bit, (laughs) um, but not too bad. Um, I was about three minutes slower the second lap than I was the first lap. Um, but one thing I did do second lap as I could kind of feel my power numbers going down a little. And in the past, I've gotten kind of down on myself mid race. When that happens, we all know that kind of like low that can happen in an Ironman bike. And I was determined not to hit that. So I actually started ignoring my power numbers and was going off heart rate and effort. Um, which I actually think was huge for me in terms of having a good run. I didn't like overly push the bike just because I knew I had to hit numbers. So I started going off effort and heart rate, um, probably around mile 75 and just did that to the end. And in the end, that numbers weren't all too different, but my mentality and like my happiness was much higher than it could have been. So, yeah. All right. And then off the, off the bike first and you end up running 306, run us through kind of the the feeling there, it's uh, it's tough to hold back on the early part of that course in Placid with the, the bombing downhills to start. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the bombing down. I think um, there I was just like, find your feet, find your legs, like get your heart rate under control and your breathing. Like I still, I felt kind of um, like my heart was racing a little and I wasn't getting full breaths for actually like the first four to five miles. And then once I got kind of deeper into river road, I finally like settled. I'd taken like a gel or two by then and, and really found my feet. So yeah, it's hard not to go out on the bike, especially with that downhill and just kind of like bomb it. But I had heart rate goals I was trying to hit. And I just wanted to kind of think about my um, posture and make sure that my quads didn't blow up on the downhill, because that's obviously um, a factor of starting downhill. Um, And then yeah, being at first was awesome. I I obviously loved it, but like you said, the adrenaline is crazy and it's scary, right? Knowing that you have to defend the fact you're in first. And I knew there was some incredibly strong runners behind me. So I kind of was going back and forth in my mind of like, don't lose it, don't lose it. And then feeling like that's not the right mentality. Just like run a good race, stay within yourself and be proud of yourself, no matter if a really, really strong runner passes you just be proud of the race you run so it was definitely the hardest part of the race was uh having the lead in the marathon and holding it um and probably what I'm most proud of in the race was like my mental battle with myself there but um yeah it was good um so I noticed you run with the handheld during your Ironmans what do you typically carry in there yeah, I just carry Gatorade I just carry exactly what I'm taking from the aid stations I just do it because when I want to drink water, I want to drink water or sorry, when I want to drink Gatorade, I want to drink Gatorade. And I don't feel like I ever get enough from just stopping at the aid stations. I, I know I was getting a little bit of grief on the live stream about like only holding it in my right hand or something like that, but maybe I'll it worked though. Yeah. Can't argue with <laughs> yeah. The haters going to hate on something. Just let them be. <laughs> yeah. I'd never even thought about that, but yeah. 
So coming down to the end of the race, when did you know you kind of had it in the bag and did you have some time to to soak it all up on the oval there? Um, sort of, if I'm being honest, and I actually said this on Instagram recently, like I did, I was not convinced I had to win until that tape was in my hand. I was hmm. maybe a little bit of disbelief, but also just knowing that like anything can happen in an Ironman, it is such a long day. Um, so yeah, I didn't believe it until I was, I was still sprinting in the, in the circle there. If you like watch the video, I'm still like game face sprinting until I cross the finish line. So I didn't really believe it until the very last second. And I wasn't going to believe it. Um, everyone was like telling me splits and how ahead I was. And then on out and backs, I would see Aaron who's in second. And I'd be like, no way that's like 20 seconds which just shows kind of maybe I'm not very good at like the math there, but I felt like she was right there. So she put up a really good run. Um, but yeah, I didn't believe it till I crossed the finish. line. Yeah. It's the Iron Man brain trying to do math <laughs> late in the, late in the race. So 20 seconds, if that's what was going through your head when you saw Aaron, how do you manage that stress and keep your heart rate low? Like you talked about like focusing on running your own race, but yeah. It's easier said than done when you yeah. feel like you're being hunted in that close. And I mean, Aaron is an incredible, incredible runner. So yeah. how did you manage that? Um, I just started running as fast as I could. I mean, like, <laughs> there's not much left. So just hold this if you can. I mean, to be honest, so in Texas this year, Joanna Ryder almost caught me last minute uh, for sixth. And I actually started like, uh, hyperventilating almost and like got really emotional. And so I'd had that experience in the race prior and was like, wow, I do not want that to happen again. If someone's catching me, because that doesn't help your race any. So kind of told myself that I like envisioned it before the race. And I was like, if this happens again, just like stay calm and just keep pushing through because getting worked up about it isn't going to help any. So yeah. And then listening to the spectators and stuff cheering me on, I was like, just like take their energy and get to the finish line. So good, man. It was so awesome to watch that race. So much fun. Um, all right. So turning the clock forward here, what's uh, the yeah. rest of 2023 got in store for you? Yeah. So I'm going to do Boston triathlon, which is a local Olympic race in a few weeks here. I think it's on the schedule, but, um, I've never done an Olympic. So will be fun to sort of test my speed. I'm really just doing it for more experience with transitions and stuff. And then I'm doing um, Ironman Maryland in September. Um, and then my new sort of update after, again, a lot of conversations with my husband and not necessarily an easy decision is I actually don't think I'm gonna end up doing Kona. Um, it's been a pretty hard decision to make because it was such a goal of mine when I first entered uh, becoming a pro. But um, as I said in the beginning, I want to race more and I want to get more experience and I could, you know, put all my eggs in Kona and train a ton to get there and spend a lot of money to get there to then race and not really know how I'm going to do in such a competitive field. Obviously, I want to race top people um, and only get the chance to kind of do one Ironman or I could also do a few back closer to home. So I'm going to do Maryland and I'm going to do Florida just to get a little bit more experience um, before I kind of get to the world champ stage. 
Nice. Exciting. I will see you in Maryland. I'll be racing there as well. So. Yay! Jellyfish. Yeah, exactly. A couple, <laughs> a couple nice pancake flat courses for you. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. Yeah, we did. We did Florida a couple years ago and had one of those, like you were talking about how the swim gets crazy. We had one of those crazy swim years where it was just beautiful for like the five days leading into it. And then it's like one of those days where the pros swam like 105 or something yeah. like the, the top pros. That can be a wild race too. I thought I heard <laughs> someone saying that like two years ago, the course was long. Oh, I don't know. That, that, like, that was our year. Yeah, we just we blacked that out from our memory <laughs> that year. So. Forgot about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you were talking about needing redemption at course, I have some redemption with Florida. It was just, it was very close. We had done Wisconsin and then we yeah. followed it up with Florida. And it was yeah. one of those immediately after the pandemic where you had to use it or you'd lose it. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, we'll do it. Well, it was, it was just, it's very rare that an Ironman is miserable. Um, that was a miserable day. <laughs> no. And was it mainly because the swim just started so horrible or was it everything compounding? So for me, I hate being cold like yeah. you. I like, I I'm fine with the heat. Yeah. And I think you can handle almost anything when your expectations are appropriate, but going yeah. into Florida, I'm like, I'm in Florida. It's not going to be cold. I got to tell you, Alice, that was coldest I have ever been at the start of a race. We were actually burying ourselves in sand to try and stay warm. Like it was the, like 40 Fahrenheit there that morning it was, and like whipping winds. So we were freezing. So like we, it took like your feet and hands were frozen when you entered the water and then there was riptides. So it was like, I actually like, so you halfway through the swim, you need to get up onto the sand and then enter again. And so you got to take like sort of a, a time check. And I actually just started laughing when I saw the time. I'm like, this is ri like ridiculous. But then um, because Florida's flat um, and the, the whipping winds, you had like how many kilometers of just straight headwind? Yeah, it was almost like 40 or 50 straight miles up to so the top part. <laughs> so by the time that you actually got the tailwind, it was just, you had been cold, you were demoralized. Um, and then it was like back to back. It was my second Ironman in a very short amount of time. So yeah. we were just, I think in the, in this race, we actually stopped at an aid station, sort of like we're high-fiving. It's like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> Camaraderie. Which, yeah. We're yeah. telling this to get it all out of the way. So you can have beautiful conditions at both of your races. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah like the try gods. We took it yeah. for you. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the most important part of that story is you just said it was your second Ironman you've gone on and done a bunch more. So yes. That's yeah. It didn't stop me. Yeah, yeah, we always exactly. want more punishment. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I would go back to Florida just because I do need the redemption because I also other years, the swim is super fast. The yeah. course is fast. Like it just all depends on the year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, pray for a good year for me. I think that's what I'm going to do again. Yeah. My season's all up in the air, but, um, we'll see what's yeah. next for you guys. Um, I'm doing Ironman Mont-Tremblant in two Ooh, weeks and yeah. then Maryland four weeks after. So that's going to hurt the double there, but <laughs> I, few people say, granted, I've never done it. So don't listen to me that they race pretty well. Um, four weeks apart, Jen, Annette, um, I was talking to her cause I was talking about maybe doing Maryland and then Kona. Um, and she had just done Coeur d'Alene and then did like Placid. And she was telling me that she actually races pretty well four weeks after. So I see that for you. Yeah. I, I like the timing of it. It's not like you have to retrain or anything. It's just like yeah. recover and go again. So yeah, the training's exactly. done. Now I just got to race and recover. Right. <laughs> and I have Montreal half, um, in a couple of weeks. So while he yeah. does the full, I'll do the half and then go out and cheer him on. Um, and then I have Kona. 
So really oh, just those two awesome. to end the year. Yeah. Very nice. It's pretty cool that you guys get to both do Montreblanc. I mean, stinks that the original, you know, got done, but now that they're doing 70.3 and Ironman the same day or weekend, that's nifty. It's going to be awesome. Um, so in, in closing, Alice, uh, we brought you on because you are our endurance icon, but I'd love to hear who's yours. Yeah. You know, that's such a good question. And I, I saw that you guys asked that and I've really been talking to friends and my husband about it. Cause I have so many, obviously you don't get into this sport without having so many people that you like kind of idolize and look up to. So my first one is actually Jackie Herring. She was at my swim camp with me and, um, I consider her a friend. I just so appreciate how she approaches, uh, life and training and her a balance and also her mindset to kind of have fun. I also think it's incredible that she has children and is doing the sport. I obviously look or not, obviously I look up to that a lot. Um, so just knowing her too, obviously makes me look up to her a lot. And then, um, other two I've actually mentioned already, but, um, Heather Jackson, she played hockey in college and then got into the sport. So when I was first starting, that was like a huge motivator for me to be like, oh, I similarly, you know, played other sports and now I'm getting into it. And then um, my final one is Kat Matthews. I just think that she is so tough and gives her all every single race she goes into. Um, I really look up to that. Um, she was like smiling and having a blast during the Ironman Texas run when she was putting down like such an incredible race. So to be able to have that awesome mentality and give it your all yet while still enjoying yourself. So those are my three. <laughs> I could go on forever. <laughs> Great choices. Yeah. Even like even you saw Kat's post from yesterday's PTO race, like she missed out on many thousands of dollars by a yes. couple seconds and still brings such a positive like vibe exactly. to her post. Just like I left it all out there. I ended up where I ended up. Yeah. Amazing and you know, ladies. the interviewer after was like, um, you know, do you wish you could have pushed a little harder and get a few seconds or whatever? And she's like, that's irrelevant. You know, what happened out there happened. And I, that's so, I don't know, respectful of her fellow racers, mm -hmm. but also just so true, right? Like why look back on it? And think like woulda, coulda, shoulda. She's like, you know what? I gave it my all and I'm going to be proud of that. So yeah. Heck yeah. Pure class. Exactly. Matthews. I know. Yeah. Um, so Alice, I feel like you're just getting started. You have had such incredible uh, race win and you've had, you know, such a great history of sport. But as you move forward in the sport, where yeah. can our listeners follow you? Oh, <laughs> I do have an Instagram. Um, now I'm like, what is it? Uh, I think it's Alice G <laughs> underscore Alberts, I believe. Um, I have a website. I update it. And that's really it. Um, yeah, that's actually it. I do coach MVDM coaching. So I'm listed on that website as well. Um, and anyone can reach out to me on my website too. If they have like questions or anything, I have a little question box. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This was a total blast. Thank you for having me. It was. <laughs> wow. How great was that? I always learned so much from these endurance icons. If you enjoyed the podcast as well, please consider liking us across social media, subscribing to us on YouTube, or giving us a five-star rating on wherever you listen to your podcasts. We appreciate you and your support so much. We wish you happy training and we'll see you back next week.